Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 52 of the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Woodsick. This episode is fantastic. It's with Jesenia Iglesias, and we talk about Theater 22's production of Water by the Spoonful, which I had the chance of seeing Thursday night, and it was fantastic. They used the West of Lenin space in a really unique way. All of the performances were stunning. I highly recommend it. You can get more information, theater22.org. Make sure you see it before it closes on November 14th, okay? Promise? I am posting this episode on Halloween, so happy Halloween, everyone. As some of you may have seen on our Facebook and Twitter pages, feeds, uh, we are in the process of trying to raise $1,500 to keep the podcast going for the next year, and we're almost 20% of the way there, and we're hoping to raise it by the end of November. So there are two ways you can donate. If you go to the Theatrical Mustang page, which is theatricalmustang.podbean.com, there is a donate button on the left-hand side where you can make a one-time donation, and there is a big green button on the top that says become a patron where you can do a monthly donation. So please consider donating, and we're having a sale on sponsorships for the next week. So between now, October 31st, and next Saturday, November 7th, you can get a sponsorship, which is normally 50 bucks for only 31 bucks. So consider that if you have a theater company, if you have a small business. It's a great opportunity. We have close to 4,200 downloads on this podcast, and we love our listeners, so you could connect with them. Speaking of sponsors, the sponsor for this episode is Second Street Hair Boutique, located in the heart of Langley. Owner and stylist Bristol Branson has created a really amazing fashion-forward salon where you can get everything done from a simple haircut to a prom or a bridal style. A lot of you have been commenting and complimenting the new gray and purple hair that was done by Hava at Second Street Hair Boutique. So check them out, secondstreethairboutique.com. Thank you for listening to that intro, and now let's get on to the podcast, episode 52, with Jesenia Iglesias. I am thrilled to welcome Jesenia Iglesias to the podcast. Yes. We had a test run on pronouncing your beautiful <laughs> name a few a few times before we started recording. So I'm glad I'm glad I got it right. Oh yes. Uh, you've just opened yes. a Pulitzer Prize mm-hmm. winning play, Water by the Spoonful. Tell me everything. Everything. Well, uh, yeah, the play opened on Friday. It's with Theater 22. Opened at West of Lenin. We run until November 14th. It's mostly a Thursday through Sunday run. It is about. So many things. <laughs> I mean, it's about um, Elliot, who's the main character. He's come back from war in Iraq, and he's got some injuries in his leg, and he's brought back mm, more than injuries, if that's mysterious oh, and wait, alluring that's enough. weighty and alluring. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and the relationship he has with his sister, or not his sister, oh my goodness, his cousin, Yasmin. And, that's that's um, the role you play? And that is the role that I play. That is the role that I play. And then, so you're introduced to Elliot and his cousin, and then you're introduced to this sort of community of 
um, it's a cyber world of people who are recovering addicts. And they're just trying to help each other out. And they're trying to support one another and motivate each other to stay clean. And um, the play itself is, like I said, it's just about so many things. Um, And that's really one of the reasons probably why it was the Pulitzer Prize winning drama. I mean, It's actually part of a trilogy, It's a part of a trilogy. So it's the second in the trilogy. The first one is Elliot, a soldier's fugue, which... um, you, it's actually pretty interesting to see the second part, which is Water by the Spoonful, and then to see the first one, and to see how some of the characters and some of the circumstances are pretty clear, like in the first part, and the yeah. and the, like the story is um, sort of fleshed out, and uh, it's very lyrical and very musical and very. Um, yeah, it's just really beautiful. And then, so the third one is Happiest Song Plays Last. Right. And we see some of the same characters. Um, we see where, um, if they've followed their dreams, if they followed the things that they wanted to do or not, you know, to see what, what's become of them. So it's pretty interesting what, what Kiara has done. Kiara um, Alegria Hudes, who's the playwright. And Hedgeberg alumna. And Hedgeberg <laughs> alumna, there it is. Yeah, and so she's constructed these three plays as sort of music pieces. Um, each one is influenced by a particular genre. So the second one is influenced mostly by jazz, specifically free jazz, uh, and specifically Coltrane. The third one is influenced by the Puerto Rican um, genre of... The, the cuatro and the instruments that we play on the island and because a lot of the characters are trying to get back to their roots, quote-unquote. So, um, and the language reflects the music and the language ref- reflects, like, the musicality sure. and the sort of lyricism of these music genres. It's pretty beautiful. So... Yeah, and I'm having a great time with my cast. Tell me about your cast and director, please. Where do I even start? So Julie <laughs> Beckman, Julie Beckman, um, I've had a huge actor crush on Julie. Isn't that the best? For a long time. <laughs> and I don't even know when I first, I don't remember the, the exact year, but when she directed Bunner Sisters was when I first sort of fell in love with the vision. Um, very specific, very clear, um, very committed, sort of involved to the story, um, involved with the story. But, um, so I saw the Bunner sisters at theater off Jackson and I just loved it. I loved the world that she created and the actors involved and everything was just so beautiful. And so she contacted me about perhaps being a part of water by the spoonful. I want to say maybe this time last year, maybe even a, a, a month or so after that. Um, and so she's been she's been amazing. She is uh, totally engulfing herself in research about Kiara and about the where it takes place, where the play takes place, which is in Philadelphia, specifically North Philly. Um, and we've done a lot of research with her, and she's talked a lot. Of, she's talked a lot about the process that it's been for her, and like falling in love with the play, and she's really gotten us to fall in love with it too. Um, and the rest of my cast, <laughs> I just love um, G. Valmont Thomas, who I first saw in Master Harold and the Boys. And this, this is basically the rest of the cast. Like, I've seen them at some point. I think Honey is the only one that I never met. 
um, and didn't see him in like a production or anything. But I, I've known of all of my castmates before we were cast, all of us together. So it was just a dream come true. Um, I've respected them and I respect them even more and I just love them completely. But um, yeah, G Val, I saw him in Masterhood and the Boys. Keiko, I've known for a long time. I did Bunnies. When you she, were yeah, the play that, that, by the way. <laughs> that was a crazy show and it was so much fun. Uh, and it introduced me to Annex Theater, which I just love. Love, just love, love that company, and I love Pamela and the rest of them. Um, and let's see, Jeff Allen Pierce, who is—I um, mean, he's OSF. He's—he's he's been everywhere. He's amazing, amazing, amazing. Uh, Jenkins Zunza, who I met through Annex as well, actually. He's just a powerhouse fighter, choreographer, <laughs> um, extraordinaire. He's amazing. Um, am I missing anyone? And Rose. Rose, who's the go-getter of just a lifetime. She just gets it done. She's an amazing actress. Um, she heads Ese Teatro, the Latino theater in town. Um, and whatever Rose wants, she gets done. And that's why I love her so much. Yeah, she's just amazing. Is that a good segue into the... Uh other Absolutely. readings that you'll be doing surrounding so this play. Good. So yes, there are um, so in in sort of partnership with um, Theater 22, Ese Teatro is doing or is conducting, it's hosting, sponsoring readings at ACT and West of Lenin. Um, one of those readings was already done. It was Water by the Spoonful in Spanish, which we performed at ACT. It had most of the cast which speaks who speaks Spanish right. and then some local actors who also speak Spanish. Um, and then the other two readings are of the same play. It's Elliot Soldier's Fugue. The first one is in, in English at 7.30, November 2nd at ACT. And then the Spanish version is going to be at West of Lenin on um, November 11th at 7.30. And this one's going to be really special because it's going to be, um... It's Dia de los Muertos on November 11th. It's Day of the Dead. Right. And so we're, it's, there's going to be a sort of um, altar or memorial for the fallen, specifically oh, wow. fallen soldiers. And um, so that's going to be a really special evening. And it's going to be a really special reading. And it's going to be specifically dedicated to veterans. Um, and we're looking for any veterans who are in the city who might want to see that show, they don't have to necessarily... I mean, yes, you have to understand Spanish, but it'll be nice for anyone to just attend right. and be a part of it. And I think there's a... I want to say that there's a Q&A for both readings. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about what's that like as an actor to perform the same lines, the same role? Oh, my goodness. Languages? Illuminating. It's absolutely illuminating. First of all, um, our Spanish version of the play was an earlier edition. So after the play was performed at OSF, which it was, yeah, uh, after it was performed at OSF, Kiara shortened it. She took out about, she took a few minutes out of it total. So we performed the Spanish version of that. And it's just, the, the Spanish language is just, it's a romance language. And so there's already a lot of musicality in it. There's already a lot of, um, sort of a flow and a, and a lyricism and a, so it was really nice to see these characters speak in this way and then what was so interesting was that I believe it was um, Hani, Rose and I bo all three of us had the same experience that once we did the show in Spanish 
We had a rehearsal for the English main stage production a few days later, and we were all like looking at our script in confusion because we almost expected it to still be in Spanish. <laughs> it was like, but I don't understand why these words are in English, and it was so weird to just be speaking them because you almost go back to the root, you know, as right. Latino actors and as um, Spanish as a first language performers. Um, the translation was um, Laura Martinez, who is a professor at the University of Puerto Rico and one of the universities in Puerto Rico. She did the translation, and it's just, it's it's slangy. It's got all the contemporary um, lingo of the island, and not just the island, but of Philly. I mean, she really did her research. And... Uh, and to see some of the words, and we've been, we've actually been given permission, Julie Beckman gave us permission to include some of the Spanish translations into the production. Oh, that's fantastic. So as opposed to saying, you know, shut up in English, I get to say, callate. You know, I get to say maybe what Yasmin would say um, with her family as opposed to with a colleague or with a fellow professor or something like that. So it's been really interesting. Um, and I think that the 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 Spanglish, the embracing yeah. more of the Spanglish and specifically including some more of the Spanish, there's something that rings a little truer, you know, in terms of the characters and their circumstances and their backgrounds and maybe some of the things they don't pronounce very well, but there's a part of them that they carry with them from their childhood. You know, maybe their parents spoke to them in Spanish and so they continue to use it. So it, it, it's been really nice. It's been very illuminating is what I can say. I wish I wish our, our listeners could see the way in which you're speaking about this project because it's obvious that you're very passionate Aww. about it. Uh, <laughs> could you speak maybe a little bit about what it means to you to have a, a theater that isn't affiliated with, you know, um, it's a teatro, like sure. having Theater 22, uh, you know, producing plays, making this a centerpiece of their main stage season, what that means to you as an actor? Well, I think it's... I think it's important. I think uh, Theater 22 sort of stands out to me currently, um, not because they've specifically chosen Water by the Spoonful and I'm cast in it and there are Puerto Ricans and this and that, but because they've chosen to not make this the quote-unquote ethnic show of the season. That's what I was clunkily trying to ask. Yeah, like, and I so think I they're think, doing it in a really great way. Absolutely, absolutely, because... They're, the importance that they find, and I, you know, I may be speaking for them, but I think what they found so valuable with this script and with this play and with the, the message is that it is universal. These characters come from so many different backgrounds. They have, um, there are so many different circumstances, um, and yet they're able to share this idea of uh, their, their attempt at finding some hope, their attempt at redemption, their trying to find themselves in the world and trying to maybe fix these relationships or maybe not, or maybe they're trying, like, these things are universal. And so for Theater 22 to take on this challenge and to say, and, and maybe to even challenge their audience members to say, this is a really diverse cast this is a really universal message. Will you support it? You know, will you support it? Um, it's not... It's not uh, the Latino show. It's not the African-American show. It's not the Asian-American show. It's it's all of us put together. And then 
we all just get to connect on a really human level. And the audience doesn't, you know, it's kind of a cliche. The audience doesn't see the color. What they see (laughs) is the story. You know what they see? I snorted a little bit. (laughs) What they see are these relationships, you know, and they're moved and they're totally touched by it. And I think that's, that's what we see. Um, or that's what we want, at least, right? As an audience, you want to go and you want to be moved and you want to be, and you don't want to see the superficial stuff. Um, and I think Theater 22 is confident that their audience is going to see past whatever it is that other theater companies have been too afraid to think that their audience can look past. You know, they really do trust their audience. They trust the Seattle community. They, um believe in them and they think that they're smarter than maybe what other companies believe. <laughs> well, I just, I have, uh, I have so much respect for Corey. I love, I loved what mm-hmm. he did with both, uh, the Lisbon Travia, Lisbon Traviata and, right. uh, Wizard Fizzer. Eric mm-hmm. Mulholland's a good friend of mine. Um, so I love seeing whatever he's in and I just put it together that he's produced two shows by Hedgebrook alumna, alumni oh, this season, nice. which yeah. is, which is really Right, it's amazing. Yeah, he—he's a—he's an amazing person, Corey. He's an amazing person. Um, He is so compassionate. He said this. He was giving us an opening night speech (laughs) on Friday, and one of the things that just stuck out to me, because I believe in it myself, is that we've all been given gifts, and it's our purpose to use them. And this is how Theater Twenty Two is choosing to use their gift you know their gift is storytelling their gift is um connecting to other human beings their gift is putting these stories on a stage and letting the characters just just come out and it's wonderful it's wonderful to be in the presence of someone who's really passionate about what they do um isn't isn't um is aware of the risk of putting on a show that's never been performed in Seattle. I mean, this this is the first time Water by the Spoonful is being performed in the city. Um, and so he's he's brave, he's confident. I mean, and I think the whole entire team is 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 very much the same. Like they're all on board and it's very palpable. Like you during rehearsals it was very evident that everyone believed in the project. What also strikes mm-hmm. me about him is his kindness. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe that's sort of a, a, a schmaltzy thing to say, but um, for for that, I mean, in, in his, the interactions I've had with him yeah. on social media and in person, um, that really sets him apart for me somehow. Absolutely. Everyone. I mean, I think everyone. Uh, from Julie to Albert, his husband. I mean, everyone, everyone. Katie McKellar, who's our stage manager. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Katie, who's been putting in some serious work and has remained level-headed and kind and generous and thoughtful the whole way through. Just everyone, everyone involved has been just amazing. Chris, our costume designer, I mean, everyone has been really, really great. And I think that it starts with the person who's who's manning the ship, you know? Um, and this is sort of a random side note, but... I was reading up on um, Scandal, and one of the reasons that Scandal oh. does so well, apparently one of the producers was saying, one of the reasons that Scandal does so well is because Carrie Washington is a leader, and not just a leader, but she's a generous and kind person. And I think that's, I think that's what Theater 22 has, 
is someone who isn't just a leader, but they're kind and generous and thoughtful. And people just follow that because they believe in that kind of character. This is one of the, I love, and I had this moment when I was sitting down with, with Clayton Weller too, is hearing these stories about people who are great because they're kind instead of being cutthroat right. and how that as artists, sometimes right. we, we, uh, trick ourselves sometimes into thinking that being cutthroat is the way to be. Right. And so being able, that's one of the reasons I love sitting down with folks is to, to hear about the stories where generosity of spirit sure. prevails and, yeah. and, and is displayed in leadership. Yeah. And I think, I think, uh, I would say, I would say Julie exemplifies the same things and it isn't just, you know, the, the, the kindness on its own, can't maybe can't take you that far but it's they're visionaries and they're not cutthroat they're visionaries and they're generous with their time and they're visionaries and they're attentive to the needs of other people because they know that it leads to productivity they know that it leads to efficiency they know that it leads to positive attitude in the workplace you know these things are really important and so they do, and we follow, because we believe in that. Well, I believe that this production is not to be missed, dear listeners. So please visit theater22.org and get your tickets. Check out those two special readings. Mm-hmm. Uh, the show runs through November 14th. We'll have the link in the episode description. Yeah. I want to dig into your origin story as a performer. Ooh, Can we go there? Sure, let's go there. Is there a story from, from your childhood story. or from your youth where... You remember performing and having that aha moment of, oh, this is this is something that I could spend a lot of time doing. You know what's interesting is, I remember I have a lot of great memories of performing. I think my my favorite memories are the ones that my mom has of me performing, the ones that she oh, tells wow. over and over and over again every time I visit her. Those are my favorite memories. For example. <laughs> Um, she says, and this is actually on my website, justsendiglaces.com. Um, my favorite story <laughs> is I was in fourth grade and I keep thinking to this day, I'm, I'm going to stick to it. I think it was a play called the North star, I think. And it was like a play written for young audiences and young performers. And I played Harriet Tubman and I had to audition for that part. This was my first audition ever <laughs> in Puerto Rico, by the way, I had to audition for this part. And I remember just sitting at the desk with um, one of my classmates, who was my BFF at the time, Jasmine Woods. And we both went up for the part, and I ended up getting it. And that's not even, like, the story. But I remember uh, I was I, – I borrowed my mom's clothes the day of. She had no idea. I was, very, I was a very secretive child, too, which is the other thing, like – I'd go on field trips or I'd have little events at school and I never told anyone. I just used to go off and do them. Um, so this was a, a, a parent visitation day and my mom had no idea that there was going to be a play. <laughs> All she knew was that I, I had asked that morning to borrow some clothes, a skirt, a long sleeve shirt. I specifically remember it was like a mustard brown long sleeve shirt and some long skirt she had. Maybe she wasn't using or whatever. And then a shirt in which to wrap my hair, with which to wrap my hair. And so 
she showed up. To, she shows up to the class, and I mean, I do my thing, Katie. I do my thing. <laughs> I perform like I know, you know. And then the teachers, apparently, this is my mom's version of the story. My teachers, Mrs. Burgos and Miss Holiday, apparently ask her later, "Where did your daughter get that Southern accent?" <laughs> I don't remember wow. using a southern accent. And so my mom says, I don't know, but she watches a lot of TV. <laughs> and so I'm assuming that, and, and, I, and I do remember watching like tons. And, I mean, that's how basically we learned English. You learned it at school and you learned it watching TV, listening to the radio, Cindy Lauper, Whitney Houston, you know, Tina Turner, all the greats, Lionel Richie. I mean, Stevie Wonder, oh my gosh, all the greats. And so she has that memory of me. And that's probably my favorite memory is that I, from, I don't know where played Harriet Tubman with a Southern accent or a dialect, as you would say now, a Southern dialect borrowed her clothes and just, just did my thing. But it wasn't an aha moment for me. Honestly, I want to say until my undergraduate days, I went to school at the university of Alabama Huntsville not like the big school, but the school with no football team and no... We have a really great hockey team, apparently, and a really great, like, golf team or something. All right. <laughs> Engineering school, like Rocket Science City, okay. you know, that sort of thing. And so uh, I, it was my junior year of undergrad, and I, I had to take an elective, an arts elective, so I took ac- acting. And I had done acting, like I said, fourth grade. I was an expert. I was amazing at the time. Who knew? <laughs> but I, I, I was a... I, I was also taking, um, I, lit, I did it for like a year as a, as my King Sengyen, or my 15th birthday present, my mom got me into an acting school. It wasn't so much an acting school as it was, hey kids, let's just read stuff and act like we know what we're doing. Um, like playing, just a lot of playing and a lot of games, which was great. It was a lot of, it was, it was supposed to be like a confident building, confidence building sure. class. It had just the opposite effect on me at least yeah but I I ended up just sort of like I'm not doing acting I I it's kind of crazy I want like a real career (laughs) right um and so my junior year in undergrad I took an elective and I took the the intro to acting and I honestly I don't remember anything else about that class I don't remember learning (laughs) these are horrible classes I was taking like or I was just a horrible student but um I don't remember learning like objectives I probably did um but like beats given circumstances I don't remember these things but I do know that my final for the class was a two-person scene and uh my my professor came up to me after the final was over and said you should keep doing this. We're having auditions coming up for Lysistrata. Do you want to come out and audition for that? And I was like, no, that's stupid. I don't have time for that. I was like, no, I don't. That's crazy. I'm not doing drama. I don't want to do. Um, but he he kept kept on it and kept convincing me. And so I, I eventually I showed up. And at the audition, that feeling started to started to emerge it was like I think I think I can do this I think this is fun you know like I don't know necessarily what it is specifically but it was just a great time 
And um, apparently it was between me and Shannon Graham for Lissa's, for the role of Lissa Strada, for the actual leading part of Lissa Strada. Shannon? Shannon, no, Shannon was amazing. Shannon was amazing. So I ended up getting Myrene, which is a great part, who has, you know, who has amazing scenes. Um, and that was kind of the beginning. That was kind of the beginning. And he, again, is, and David Harwell is his name. He is now basically my mentor. Um, he was the one who convinced me to pursue grad school, which I did. So I moved from Alabama to Miami. I, I did sort of the full-time job. I worked at a university during the day. And then I did theater stuff in the evening. And it was exhausting and it was tiring, as everyone knows. But it was my first time doing it. And it was just so exciting and exhilarating. And it felt like for the first time I knew what I wanted to do um, for the rest of my life, you know. Um, but I didn't actually get a degree in theater. I got it in English literature. And cause my school didn't actually have, <laughs> it didn't have a theater program. Actually it had a community. So under the communications department, it put on some uh, shows. Yeah. So David Harwell was the backbone of that whole program. And actually, um, just this spring, it was confirmed that there would be a new theater bachelor's program wow like he start, he did it he eventually just did it he made committed it to it and made it happen yeah and so um yeah I did three years in Miami and I, and I did shows in the evening and in the meantime I was set on going to grad school yeah because I was getting some experience but I still didn't really know what I was doing I mean, I, I didn't know that I could highlight my lines to, like, make memorization easier. It just things right. that, things that like, just didn't have those like tools. civilians yeah. don't yeah. know about acting. Like, that's that was me. I was a straight-up civilian, you know? I didn't know what I was doing. I was, I had some bad auditions. I had some <laughs> horror, because I was coming in with, like, um, photocopies of my headshot that, like, my friend took in the parking lot. Like... I didn't know. <laughs> you just don't know. Yeah, you just have, you you just have the passion, know. but not necessarily. Yeah, and there's research and stuff, and I'm sure that there are people that could, you know, that could have given me the information, but I was just improving. you know? It was just improvisation, one day at a time, just taking it. This is what I think I need to do. I really want it. And so I was just putting pieces together, like scrap pieces together, and just hoping <laughs> that, hoping that I was good enough, you know, like hoping that I could get into a grad school and pursue it. And I auditioned for Mark Jenkins and at the University of Washington. And this was actually in Chicago. No, New York was when I auditioned. Did you do Erda's? I did Erda's. I did Erda's. It took me two tries. I did Erda's twice. Chicago and New York. And New York, um, Mark Jenkins and Kathy Madden. Catherine Madden were probably the two reasons why I came to school here. Not probably. They are, they are literally the two reasons why I came to school here. Yeah. Why did you? Why do you think you connected with them so deeply? I mean, Mark Jenkins was... He was sure that I belonged in this program. There was something about that interview. He, he had me do... Um, one of my favorite monologues is um, Friar Lawrence from Romeo and Juliet. And... Um, Art thou a man? You know that one. And he had me do it a, a few times, 
And it was that last time he looked at uh, Shanga Parker, who is now um, a faculty member at NYU. But he looked at Shanga and, w- and went, okay, yeah. Yeah. And then looked at me and went, okay, yeah. I was like, okay, yeah, what? <laughs> okay, yeah, what? <laughs> Whatever it is, yes. Whatever it is, yes. I, t- I take it. I take it. I volunteer as tribute. I take it. So um, it was amazing. Yeah. And so he was just so sure. Very much the same way that David Harwell was very sure. They saw something, you know, and I trusted their experience. I, I had researched Mark Jenkins and researched the faculty before. Um, and he just seemed like he knew. And I trusted him and I trusted that. And the uh, uh, another part of the sort of, sort of allure was the fact that I could travel across the country and experience the Pacific Northwest or just the West in general. I had never been to the West and I jumped from Puerto Rico. I had started school in Buffalo, New York, finished it in Alabama, Huntsville, Alabama, was now in Miami, Florida. And I was like, Seattle, Washington? Perfect. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> Why not just go to Seattle, Washington? So, And then Catherine Madden is the um, Alexander Technique extraordinaire. Mm. She's just amazing. She teaches in Japan and, and other international places and she holds con or she attends conferences and teaches there and she helped uh when i even when i first read about her and read what students were saying about her i was like i'm going i'm going she was apparently completely revolutionizing like acting for some of these students and i was like i'm gonna start this program and if these two professors stay there i know i'm gonna leave a completely different performer person just everything and i think i did i think i did and that's university of washington like that's a credit to their program and and you know nothing is perfect and it went through its transitions while i was going to school there but the professors care about the people who go through there and they're invested in their three years in the school and Catherine madden if anyone is totally completely committed and invested to to the life of her students after they've left the program i mean in this in a really special just unique way and so yeah and so i graduated uh 2014 Yay. and i thought um it's it's sort of a common practice that there's an exodus of the students who graduate so they had to go to New York, they go to L.A., they go to wherever. Um, but I was already sort of scheduled to do Passing Strange at ACT um, by Side Country Theater. And I decided to stay a little bit longer. Like, I did the show, and a lot came from doing the show. And I got some attention. People were like, where have you been? Or who are you? Are you new here? It's like, well, I've been here for three years. But I was in school. Like, you know, no one knew who we were. You know, um, and so I stayed. So I've been here a year after I've graduated. So it's been nice. What What has that transition felt like for? I mean, what What have you learned from that transition from academia into the re, quote unquote real right. world? That you you have to be in charge of your own career. Whereas within the program, you have professors that will follow up, that will keep track of you, that will, um, for example, cast you in 
non-race specific roles. You, I get to play, um, you know, I, I get to play the sister of a Caucasian actress. You know, I get to do things that I wouldn't normally um, do in the outside world, in the real world. Right. Um, and so there's sort of a, a sheltering within the program once I got out of it. <laughs> and you realize what the practice is, um, and not just in Seattle, but it's international, honestly. I mean, it's happening in London. It's happening everywhere. Um, you have to sort of develop a, a really tough skin. And realize that the, the, the program teaches you how to become a strong performer, but you have to be, you have to find ways to, be, to just become a stronger person, you know, um, accepting rejection, accepting, um, specifically rejection, or, you know, just accepting the culture of the theater world and, how different it is everywhere you go. It's going to be different everywhere you go. In Miami, it was very different. Here, it's very different. Um, and being adaptable to all of it, to all of it. I mean, that's been probably one of the biggest things I've learned coming out of the program is, okay, so today it's going to be different. With this theater company, it's going to be different. I want to work at, this is going to be different. I just have to adapt to it. I can't um, second guess myself. I can't sort of take rejection as if, I'm the worst actor ever. I can't uh, sort of take on a, a belief that three years were a waste. You know, it's, it, 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 none of it right. is useful. And none of it is, um, yeah, none of it's useful. So to creating a, a positive attitude, that's, that's been one of the biggest things. Because they don't, they don't teach you that, they don't teach you in school that you're going to be facing countless rejections before you get one acceptance. They'll tell you. They'll tell you that it's going to happen. But you won't, you don't know. You don't know that visceral. You don't know. Reaction to getting that casting notice that it. Right. Thanks but no thanks. Right. And, and, And what it takes to hustle. You know, what it takes to maybe work three jobs. Maybe it means you didn't want that food server job, but now you're going to have to work it. Maybe you're going to have to get, um, you know, a, a night shift thing or a, a really early morning shift thing. You know, it depends. But how to really, and and I can't think of any other sort of word for it, but really just hustle it. Yeah. And that's one thing that I'm learning now. It's like, you just got to juggle it all and find the hours and prioritize and get your sleep and drink plenty of water. <laughs> and take your vitamins, like my mom would say. Take your vitamins, take care of yourself because you're the instrument. You know, stay healthy, keep exercising. You know, that sort of thing. Um, eat, eat well, but like, and keep training. It doesn't end at, at year three. It doesn't end. It's like a musician that plays scales and plays, you know, every day. Actors, you have to keep training. I mean, it, whether it's picking up a script and reading it out loud or researching, you know, the classics or getting out of your comfort zone and reading plays you know, from South Africa or reading plays that are really popular right now in Australia. Like, I think it takes that kind of training. Um, and it's something that I wouldn't have found out until I was out of the program, I don't think. Sure. Yeah. In terms of the Seattle landscape and, and, and beyond, what, what sorts of companies do you find yourself being drawn to philosophically and what kind of plays sort of... Um, oh, Sure. You know, get you going. 
get you well, going. That, my... that was not a good question. <laughs> but, like, um, attract you. I hear you. Sure. One of my... I mean, one of the companies that I want to work for, hands down, is Steppenwolf uh, in Chicago. One of the yes. other companies I really want to work for, which is just a no-brainer for so many actors, is OSF. But one of the main reasons why is because, for one, Steppenwolf allows their uh, performers to become ensemble members and then try on the many hats of the theater world. So they get to playwright. They get to um, direct. They get to design. They get to, and not always, but they get to do it. And they get the support of the company. They get the support of the rest of the ensemble. Um, And there's some amazing um, performers at Seven Wolf who I follow. And um, I'll look to see what they're doing. And I'll try to purchase their plays. Um, And it's a very multicultural ensemble. Um, and they are just supportive of that kind of culture. It's not, and because it's not very common, those types of companies really stick out. And so, um, when I can find one that's just all inclusive, um, gets, puts a lot of support into, uh, people of color being playwrights, being directors, being on the boards, making decisions, you know, calling the shots, that stuff really, really um, gets me going. Gets me going. <laughs> I find it really attractive. Yeah, and and OSF is is, is OSF is um, it's like a company anywhere in anywhere in the U.S. saying, "Well, we can't cast these people as a family because no one's going to believe that an Asian woman is the mom and a Latino is the father and." Uh, African-American girl is a daughter and OSF is proof that not only does it work or can it work, but your audience will come with you. I mean, if you're asking them to believe that there's a ship on stage or a war on stage or I don't know anything, why can't you ask them to believe that these people are a family or that this story can be told from by these people? Um, and so I really respect any theater company that practices that. That's a great point, and I hadn't even thought of it that way. So much of theater for the audience is the suspension of disbelief. Absolutely. And so not underestimating them. Mm-hmm. If you if you believe, I think I think of Ibsen's When We Dead Awaken. Yeah. It's his last play. He writes an avalanche. That's how the play ends, an avalanche <laughs> on stage. Yeah. If we're asking folks to believe Absolutely. in an avalanche on stage. Let's challenge them right. about what a family can look like. Right, right. And I know that there are um, articles and, you know, blogs and comment threads of audience members being very vocal about, like, oh, but the moment that I saw this this happen, it was like I was taken out of it. Or the moment that I saw that he was of this ethnicity, I was taken out of it. Um, so what? <laughs> you know, like, so what? Like, these two specific companies, and there are, there are many more in the country... Um, not a lot, unfortunately, it's still the minority, but they, they're not concerned with that. It's, it's, it's not an issue for them because they know that so many more for that one person who has an issue, who has a problem with it, who's uncomfortable, who's unable to suspend their, you know, uh, it's, it's not an issue for them. For that one person, there's 20 more that will come along for the ride, you know? 
Um, and it's worked. It's worked. And I, I, that's what I don't understand about some companies. It's just, a, it's a tough thing. And I, and I get being called in for the audition and I get that they, that they try, you know, and they, they say, well, we'll consider it. Let's call in a few different people. Let's make a few different, let's mix and match. And let's, um, I get that they try, but it isn't enough to try. It isn't enough to try. You got to go out and just risk it. You know, you just kind of try it out. And maybe audiences won't go with you at the, at the very beginning. Maybe they won't support that first play that you do that's an all-inclusive cast. But keep trying. It doesn't mean that it's a bad idea. I mean, that is the world, you know? So why not? So anyways, go back to your question. Those are the two companies that I'm drawn to. Those are the, the, the kinds of uh, characteristics that I'm most attracted to. And it's and it's it's strange to think that they're risk takers because they do this, but it's the truth. Even in 2015, it is it is risky and um, and they're they're all in, and I love that about them. Um, what was the other half of your question? What plays? <laughs> what plays or oh, roles what do you plays? find yourself drawn to? Oh, just the really complicated ones. Like, Jose Rivera is one of my favorite playwrights. He's a Puerto Rican playwright. And, um, oh, there's so many others. Maria Irene Fornes is another playwright yes. who I just love. Like, these really, um, I'm attracted to, like, Kiara, like, Kiara writes in Water by the Spoonful, the lyricism, the sort of poetry of the piece. But in terms of the characters, I'm really drawn to the strong, complicated types who don't have it figured out. And that's very much Yasmin in this play, actually. Um, they don't have it figured out. There's a sort of facade, you know, there's this barrier. There's a, there's something that other characters are trying to break through. But they're also very determined to go after something in, in particular. And, um, and they could they can stand on their own, you know, um, specifically the female, obviously, because so many times we see these one dimensional female roles and I'm sure you know all about it, but, um, the ones that are multidimensional and aspiring for something other than a relationship and can, can stand in a scene by themselves without having to engage with another male character and, um, where the play itself is has addressed at some point the history or the background or that there's something more to this person than what we than what there is on the page i was at a reading just the other day for this play um and i appreciate and it was about a, a caucasian male and an african american woman and the and their sort of new relationship, the sort of possibility of a romance between the two of them. But the play quickly turns into a race issue. And so the other thing that I'm attracted to is when a play can have a diverse cast, can include roles for different ethnicities, and it's not a specific race issue play, where it just it just talks about universal human issues, the human condition, um, 
fears, doubts, you know, insecurities, anything, anything. And it's very surfacey, I guess, that sort of expectation, but you just don't see it a lot. Absolutely. You just don't see it a lot. And so when I could read something like Water by the Spoonful or um, references to Salvador Dali Make Me Hot or Mud or Death of a Maiden, you know, when I, when I can read these plays and, and see these characters, it's just powerful, powerful stuff. And it sticks out to me and it's stuff that I eventually at one point want to play and hope I do. And, and then... Then there's like the musicals, which I really yes. love. <laughs> I love musicals so much. My dream role is Anita in West Side Story. Oh my gosh, you'd be so Anita. Because so Rita Moreno, who is, um, she's not from Puerto Rico, but she she is a Puerto Rican a New York actress, and she's uh, just amazing, amazing. And she's one of my biggest, greatest heroes ever since I was a kid, and I just want to be her. I just want to be her, and that was their that was her breakout role. She actually did The King and I first, and then she did West Side Story, and then that's when she got all these awards, and just blew up. But she had she had issues when she was coming out, because they wanted to place her as the sort of sex kitten, you know, right after she did West Side Story, sure. and, and um, she had to fight against the stereotypes, and I got it. There was something that definitely clicked for me when I was first reading about her, and so that's why I love her, and I love... West Side Story, and that was the first time I'd seen Puerto Rico as this thing in a musical, like, on Broadway. Like, people were talking about it, and people were speaking in Spanish, and people were... It was just amazing. Like, people who looked like me, and it was right. just an amazing, inspiring, like, motivational moment for me as a, as, a, as a kid and as a teenager, and still to this day. And it's... It's not underestimated, but... Um, Children need to see themselves represented on stage, absolutely on screen, in the books, whether it's a children's book, a comic book, a, a commercial. It's so important to see that. And it was so important for me. And I don't know if I, or how sort of, how persistent I would have been in pursuing acting if I didn't see just some people who looked like me. You know, someone, if it wasn't maybe for Rita Moreno or for Carmen Richardson when I was growing up or for anyone, anyone, I don't know if I would have pursued it because it, it, the dream wouldn't have been possible because it was, it would have been inaccessible to me. And once I saw it, starting seeing people who looked like me, who came from where I was born, I was like, I can get that. I can, I, that's something I can believe in because there are people just like me doing that thing, you know, so... I could seriously talk to you forever. <laughs> like this, is, this has been incredible. But as as we unfortunately uh, have to have to finish up our time together, I just Aww. wanted to uh, ask you what other projects you have coming up. You mentioned oh, your sure. website, yeah, my uh, website. But what, what's next for you? So what's um after this is the Withing Project, which is a mm, it's an oratorio, it's theater, dance, and music. And basically, it's science meets art, or science meets heart, I guess, too, is an interesting way to put it. But it is the idea that, um, or the play addresses the idea that people can be connected on a physiological level 
just by being attentive to one another, focusing on one another, being um, empathetic to, toward one another, and what that has to do with the body and how that can affect us. And what if it's true? Like, what if it's true that human beings can connect on a level um, that we don't realize right now? And we're not choosing to turn it off or turn it on. I mean, we do it maybe at a subconscious level, but it's just a really amazing play. It's a really amazing play. Yeah. Yeah. And it opens... November 19th, and it's only for a few days. It closes November 22nd, and Catherine Madden is directing it, who I love. Um, and I'm in the show with uh, two other uh, University of Washington graduates, um, Jonathan Chu and Sunam Ellis. And then there are just, there's just a band of musicians and dancers and singers, and we're all performing this extravaganza together i mean it's it's quite a show and it's an amazing concept and an amazing theme and people are i think people are going to leave asking a lot of questions about like is this thing real it's it's spooky and it's kind of um ethereal and all these things but there's a science to it and there are a lot of studies being conducted right now and there are papers out um about previous studies, about past studies, and what if this thing is real? You know, is basically what it asks, and it's just a beautiful play. Yeah. Where's that going at? That is at Jones Playhouse on University Way in 41st, and yeah, opens November 19th. I don't know, like, about ticket sales and things like that, but you can look up thewithingproject.org. And we will do some research after... After recording Since this episode that and, and get you that information in the episode description. It's not calm, I don't think. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out and we'll post it and you can check it out. But it's gonna be it's gonna be quite an event, I think. You're quite an event. You're quite an event, Katie. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This Yay. has really been delightful. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate it.